Welcome back to Black History for White People, a podcast where we educate, resource, and challenge white people about black history. I'm Brad, and on today's show are my co-hosts, Katina and Garen. Today's topic is the Southern Baptist Convention. This is part two of the two-part series, so if you haven't listened to part one, make sure you go back and do so. On this episode, we discuss some of the top seminaries and their founding fathers, discuss the revivalist culture, and conclude the episode with how and why church is the most segregated hour of the week. We hope you enjoy the discussion. So the things that you have read, has there been any statements or any, you know, one of the things that you've we kind of repeat, you know, over and over is to like, it, this is part of our history. You know, it's, we don't want it to be part of our history, but it is. And so we, there's, you said there's two ways you can repent of it or you can kind of shove it off to the side and not really acknowledge it and pretend it didn't happen or whatever. But has the SBC or any main leaders repented, said anything? What, where are we at in that? Yeah. Regards? So to some degree, everything I read, all those quotes, about Southern Seminary and its founders, the only reason I even we have access to that is because Southern Seminary did a report that brought all that forward and acknowledged all that and did repent of it. But they still, in afterwards, they were pressured by black congregations to remove the names of those people from like the buildings that are honoring them, and they still um, have like refused to take those steps. So there's still like a, a pass given there, even though that's like black people in the Southern Baptist Church have like expressed how that's hurtful and painful to us that you continue to honor these men. And so even in their repentance, I think it's been not a full renounce, a renouncing of, of all that racism. It's been some form of repentance. And then the Southern Baptist Church, uh, you can, the Southern Baptist Convention, there's like annual meetings where they will pass, um, Statements. Yeah, I mean, they're just. There's annual meetings where they pass statements, and in a lot of those statements, through the years, they have renounced racism and apologized for things in the past. But the the thing about those is that in general, they have only ever gone as far as is kind of socially acceptable in their day. Like the Southern Baptist Convention has never been on the forefront or cutting edge or vanguard of pushing back against racism. It's always basically once, you know, everyone kind of agrees that something was wrong, then now we'll repent of it. But there's never been like an actual, like let's really push for any kind of racial reconciliation or inclusion or equality until it's become mainstream, which is super sad. And that's led to, the fact that, and it's contributed to the fact that Sunday is the most segregated hour. In like Sunday morning, church service is the most segregated hour in America. That, that uh, the lack of outreach on the part of whites, and I think it's, it's complete, like I think the culpability is all in the white church for why Sunday is so segregated. That black people throughout church history have left white churches in phases. Early on, a lot of them left in a 
like a big protest after the Civil War because they weren't allowed into like leadership and there was segregated seating. So a lot of there was a wave of black churches that left, and basically it was because you're not acknowledging our full dignity. And then there was another wave of black churches separating from white churches in the civil rights movement because black people were basically, I mean, you've seen the fervor over Colin Kaepernick and kind of there was like a version of that that happened in the church in those days where there was like kneel-ins, there were a form of protest that black people would do to say like, you're not acknowledging or, or, or you're not treating us equally even in the church. And so white churches expelled black people. Like some white churches uh, I mean, I say white churches, they were integrated before they expelled the black people, but then they became white churches by expelling all their black members for fear of these like different forms of protest. And then there's just like the white prevailing views that are unchallenged within these white churches. So even in Jim Crow, a majority of evangelicals believed that there was equality of opportunity in America for white and black people, which that's like, if you have listened to any of our podcasts, you know that's like absurdly far from the truth. Right. Like that was during mass lynchings and during like the era when eighty percent of sharecroppers were not given fair settlements by the white landowners, and there was no suffrage, no ability to vote. There was redlining; you couldn't even like get credit from banks to move into a home. And yet, white people thought like, "Yeah, no, there's a quality of opportunity," which just shows how unloving and un. Um, like not paying attention and blind the evangelical church was to the reality of racial dynamics in those days. Right. And then in 1905, the Christian advocate of Nashville, so the major Christian newspaper said, the Negro leaders in the South and their injudicious friends up North are making such an ado over Jim Crow laws, which they wrote in scare quotes, quite overlooking the fact that such laws do not discriminate against the blacks. They assign for use for Negroes certain seats and trolley cars equally desirable with others and certain sections of railway cars, usually in the same cars in which the whites ride. So uh, there's just major publications, major churches, major, major denominations all through the way. I mean, I, Chriswell, whose quote I read earlier, was the largest, the pastor of the largest SBC church in his era. And after Brown versus Board, he's like publicly denouncing it. And he was... He didn't like get deposed from his church. He didn't get kicked out of the denomination. There's just been an acceptance of racism all throughout. And so black people throughout history have had to form their own churches, not because they wanted to, but because they were not welcomed into the churches that were controlled by white people. And so the culpability is entirely ours. And I say ours meaning white people. It's our fault. And in order to change it, we are going to have to radically rethink how we approach reconciliation. Because what the white church has done so far to try to fix it, and you can see this in Southern Baptist statements, there, there's been statements encouraging, like, try to like hire more black people and try to like make black people more welcome in your church. But basically, I'm a dad, and I have my son, and uh, I, I have children. Sometimes I will invite them to like do work with me. But the way that I will do the work is basically that I'll like hand my son the drill, but I'm like guiding it. And if he does something wrong, I'll immediately take it away. And that's what it's been like for black people coming into white churches, even as pastors, even leading white churches has been like, okay, we'll kind of let you do a little thing. And then we'll like, we still control the power. 
Like we still control the levers and there's certain things you can't do and you can't say or you'll lose your power or you'll or we'll like denounce you. And so like a lot of black people have ended up feeling like they're just like being used by the white church to yep. be a black face on the stage but never really actually trusted with any real power, real leadership. Their opinions are not actually valued or taken as serious input. Like, I mean, here you have black pastors and black churches writing to Southern Seminary and saying like, hey, this is hurtful to us that you're not taking down the names of these men who didn't just own slaves, but they advocated for our dehumanization. And you're not willing to like remove their places of honor on account of that. And their opinions aren't valid or weighed. Or the black people in the Southern Baptist Church, even to today, like I listened to like a, a recent radio interview of a, back, a black pastor of a large Southern Baptist Church that is trying to decide right now to leave the denomination um, because of a recent statement that the Southern Baptist Church made that's controversial on the issue of race. We'll talk about it in a second. But he, in this interview, basically just described the fact that he feels like he is allowed on the porch, but he's not allowed into the house. Like mm. you can come, you can fellowship with us, you can sit on our porch and we'll talk with you, but you're not welcome into the home. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is the experience of a lot of black people. So white people, like especially to our white Christian audience, I want to challenge you, whatever spaces you're in, this is a dynamic. If any white people in any kind of organization or any kind of leadership, like this is speaking to you too. But especially in light of the topic, I want to particularly talk to most centrally white Southern Baptists, but then any white Christians, and just challenge you to radically rethink the steps that you're willing to take in order to pursue racial reconciliation. And it's going to take more than you just like doing what I do with my son and letting him hold the drill and then taking it back as soon as he does something I don't like. It's going to take you actually putting yourself under the authority of black and brown people who actually think differently than you. Not pre-selecting the, the black and brown people who are like, have the views that are safe for white ears, but like actually sharing power. And that means we need to actively be pursuing, elevating black voices, black and brown voices, using our lives to promote the works of black and brown people and in your church, advocate for your church to be giving black and brown people positions of actual power and authority and not just kind of token positions to get a black face on the stage so that we look diverse as a church, but to actually give power and speaking time in the microphone. I guess my question when we talk about you know segregated hours, like we never hear from white churches to leave the white church and go to another. Oh, okay. And so there's there's always a come to us. Come to us. Come join us. We want, you know, we want people to come to us, but there's I've never heard of I've never heard it said of like leave us. <laughs> go to Sit just under. go to sit under a black and black brown leadership. leadership. Go to yeah. a black church, go to a brown church, go to a more multi-ethnic church. There's almost you know what I mean? The- yeah, no, I get it. And and it, uh, Eric Mason comes to my mind. Pastor Eric Mason in um in Philadelphia, um, Epiphany um, is it Epiphany Fellowship? Epiphany Fellowship. Yeah. yeah, he talks about how, and he's the writer of the woke church uh, books and uh, the woke church woke church book. I wish I lived in Philly. I would go to his church. But he talked about how 
his church was unique in that he had a lot of white membership. Like a lot of white millennials, a lot of white people ended up going to his church in Philly, in, in the hood. But it was interesting when he started, and he was, you know, SBC, he was the darling in Lifeway Christian bookstores. But when, I'm not sure if it was Philando Castile, but just the string of very publicized you know, murders, brutality. He was he was done. He was done with the white evangelicalism, having sat in the circles, having been the 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 it black dude. And when he started really pressing into justice in woke church, there was a mass exodus of white people from his church. It, and it's so like white supremacy is so oh my gosh, it's so demonic. You went to a black church. And you sat under a black pastor, but then when he is preaching and teaching justice and he's serving his community in a way that's outside of your comfort zone, you go to him, because he said they would go to him and be like, you're crossing the line. Who are you to tell a black man that he's crossing the line, a black pastor that he's crossing the line? And it's just this this concern, this, this control. And you, it's, I don't know what's going to, white people have got to be more submissive. They've got to allow themselves to be more, just as submissive as black people have had no choice to be. Black people don't owe you anything. They don't owe you standing on your stage and affirming your wokeness. They don't owe you anything. And you've got to stop. You've got to put, lay aside lay aside your privilege and lay aside your mindset and stop deciding that you want to you want to you want your church to sing like black people you want to have choir sunday and gospel sunday and you want to have the one sunday a month where black people are on the stage singing so that you can clap your hands you want us to lead you in demonstrative praise you want to hoop and holler you want to be you know neo reformed and you know, uh, utilize, you know, believe in the, the spiritual gifts and you want to speak in tongues. You want to do all these things. You want to be charismatic, but you don't want to uplift the people by which those beautiful gifts have come forward. It's because of the black church. The black church did not create itself. The white church created the black church. Mm-hmm. And so... Go to that space, go to that place of humility and learn and glean and with no expectation and with your hand open and not clutched into your privilege. But no, there's no, I don't know of any churches. I don't know of any, I, I think now because of the Black Lives Matter movement, honestly, you're seeing a lot more white Gen Zers. Is it Gen Zers? You're seeing a lot of white Gen Zers who had left the church because of their apparent hypocrisy and racism. I, I speak to many young white people all the time who are like, I, I left Christianity. I left Christianity I, you know, because I was sick of the hypocrisy. You're seeing them starting to move into uh, black churches. You're seeing more of that movement now. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take. Yeah. I've seen stories before of black and white churches trying to like merge their congregations. But I think in every instance of that that I've seen, the white church Overtake. was still, 
it was like inviting the black church to basically come and we'll put some of your people onto our staff, but we'll still like be in charge. And then you see like John O in Memphis, Fellowship Memphis, where they left the SBC. And he bought, he along with several black reform reformers, they bought into this idea that they could be patient and kind of work with the SBC. And the SBC kept spitting in their face. And so they bounced. And you're seeing that, like Lecrae, who was SBC, you're seeing a lot of those uh, black reformers, that neo-reformers that are bouncing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, and this, this past four years has just been, it, it, you know, it didn't start the fire, but the, 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 the flames have been stoked and black folks are like, they're done. Yeah, so the general, so- I think it was the general social survey had a poll where they basically asked white evangelicals and just other white people, what explains the gap between black people and white people? Because there's not equality. Black people have like less money, less power. What explains the gap? And they let people give one of four responses. And the responses range from basically more blaming the black people to basically more blaming this the system. <laughs> so the first response was like black people lack the ability. Second is that they lack motivation. Third is that they lack education, so more like the system doesn't help them. And then the fourth was because of discrimination. White evangelicals, like, let's just like ask, how do they, how do you predict they would fare compared to just average white people in the culture? And you would like to think that white evangelicals were on the right side of the curve, that they were like more like not just blaming black people especially in the face of everything you've hopefully learned through this podcast, that like there have been so many systems uh, that have oppressed black people through the ages. And yet, what the poll found was that, first of all, 10% of both groups blamed, said that black people had less ability. So 10% of the population is, was just gave an overtly racist response that like black people are less able, which just bear in mind... That like that's an important number to keep in mind. That like mm-hmm. that we're not past racism. Like literally a tenth of people are actually think black people are less capable, are going to be uh, or inferior, uh, and so like uh, or just honest about what they are they honest think. about the fact that they think that. Which which means ten percent of jurors, ten percent of people making hire de- hiring decisions and recruiters, ten percent of judges, ten percent of judges, ten percent of police officers, ten yeah. percent like ten percent, ten percent of presidents voluntarily said in this poll that they think black people have less ability. And then among evangelicals, there was sixty-two percent said that they think that black people have less motivation. And it was eleven percent higher than other white respondents. Hmm. So white evangelicals were basically more likely to say black people lack motivation and that that explains it. And then they were about 10% less likely to say that it was because of of discrimination. So white evangelicals have been, by and large, I mean, it's a poll, so it's like percentages, but by and large, the center of gravity has been on the wrong side all along, all through our history. And for uh, just a challenge to you, to you, listener, we are called to be salt and light. And we are like all along the way God has had his people be salt and light and be part of unjust systems and bringing justice. But we are called to be, it says in the Bible that we should be lights shining in a crooked and depraved generation. And in this 
Kirk and the Depraved Generation, in our particular season of time, racism and white supremacy are cornerstone, fundamental, primary blind spots and areas of compromise and sin in the church. And we are called to be salt and light into that and to be and to lead out in a new way. And so I would just have so much sympathy for people who have left the church because of this dynamic, because this is opposite of who Jesus is. So when you leave the church, if for people who leave Christianity because of this, there's like actually something true in that act of leaving. You are declaring this is not right and you're correct. But then I would challenge like for anyone who actually knows and sees Jesus, you'll know quickly in reading him and knowing him that this is that he is completely opposed to everything about the dynamic that's operative. Uh, not just the fact that he wasn't white, but the fact that his worldview that Jesus advocated is so opposite to anything that would seek to extract power at the cost of other people. Mm-hmm. Like that's not how he was. And so so I would encourage you to look at Jesus, not to the church, and then lead out in a new way and be part of a change to this. Be part of undoing this. Repent of it and seek. The sad reality is that white people are going to have to be pressuring other white people to actually get some of this stuff changed because black people are, their voices aren't equal and aren't equally weighed and aren't equally heard. Yeah. And so like be an ally and be a part of demanding your church to to make these changes and don't be passive because doing nothing, what was the James Baldwin quote? Once you see, once you see reality, like you can't, you can't live with yourself doing nothing. I, I don't remember the exact quote. You Once you've seen that this is, What's going on? It's not enough to just, I'm just going to be passive in the face of it. You need to be actively pursuing racial justice because that's who God is. And we are misrepresenting him in the church all throughout our history right? uh, because of this sin and this compromise. Uh, And just one final kind of episode or chapter just to bring us all the way up to the present is that... In November 2020, seminary presidents from all six of the Southern Baptist seminaries issued a statement saying that critical race theory, intersectionality, and any version of critical race theory is incompatible with the Baptist faith and message and the denomination's core beliefs. And so I think that the statement itself, first of all, for context, it came just a couple months after Trump said that critical race theory was, I think, what was his words? A left-wing cultural revolution. So call it left. And so then that's the context. When the Southern Baptist Seminary presidents all of a sudden out of the blue issue this statement, it's not just the statement itself, but it's also the context that it it was political. And it was done in order to, to basically address a problem that wasn't even there because the Southern Baptist, it's not like Southern Baptist congregations are doing open starting critical race theory bible studies or anything. And so in that context, I think it hurt a lot of black and brown people and a lot of black and brown pastors to the point that a few major black led southern baptist churches left the denomination. And the the statement itself aside from the context, the statement itself I think is problematic because it basically kind of just gives white people in the southern baptist church an excuse to just completely wholesale dismiss 
all of the anything that all the tools that are right now most prevalent in cutting back against white supremacy. And the statement itself, it did say like, well, the church and the Bible has like the tools to do this, but the Bible is not in most Southern Baptist churches right now being used to push back against racism, which is is a problem. But it's like don't don't get rid of the tools without like actually doing the work. Don't say like the Bible has all the tools we need. We don't need these secular tools. But then you're not using the tools in the Bible either. And so the denomination as a whole now is in kind of like a little bit of a, I mean, there's like some media storm after this is like in the throes of that uh, because of just like a lack of sensitivity and a lack of humility to say that like, yes, critical race theory is a secular theory. It's not derived from scripture. And so it's not going to be uh, overlap with it's not going to be a f- complete overlap with a biblical worldview, just as most any secular theory that is like a broad theory is going to have areas of overlap and areas of difference or distinction. But rather than getting into a nuanced conversation where the, the seminary presidents were like, here are contributions of critical race theory, and here are ways that we can learn from it, here are ways that we have to tweak it or have to like you know, clarify. They just kind of wholesale dismissed it and said it and all of its versions and everything to do with it is completely incompatible with everything about us. And in that act, I mean, this is in also in the context of all the white Christian nationalism, white supremacy, this resurgence of like neo-Nazism and the resurgence of all that. And I think those things are by far more danger to the church than a theory that is like less than fully biblical on its own terms. And yet, rather than issuing a statement saying like white supremacy is evil, they are responding to the political moment and issuing a statement that basically says critical race theory is is evil, is wrong, is incompatible with the gospel, almost makes it sound to the point of like claiming it's damnable. And so there's just like a really insensitive and I think compromising position for them to have taken and just like a utter lack of nuance and a, a just unloving to black and brown people and to anyone who like actually wants to have a nuanced conversation about how do we push back against racism mm-hmm. in the church. Well, and I would also say white people, allow black people to be just as mediocre as you are. I don't know, I see so many white pastors who they may have an education, but that's all they have up in the pulpit, dry, with no, you know, as black folks say, with no spirit and no power, just up in in the pulpit, dry as hell. And but you lay these expectations at the feet of black people and black pastors, and you want them to be above and beyond. And it's like equity and equality is allowing black people to be just as mediocre as you are with no expectation that we have to be so great and everything that we say and do has to be so perfect because you shield and you protect white mediocrity and you elevate white mediocrity above black excellence even. As as excellent as black people have to be and oftentimes are and what we have to do to fight and claw our way by the grace of God to 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 the top echelons, even that oftentimes is not going to be uplifted above just, just white mediocrity. You know, white mediocrity is going to demand time and demand patience and demand, you know, prayer and demand, you know, grace and winsomeness and mercy and long-suffering. 
But white excellence, black excellence also oftentimes gets rejected. And whoa, pump the brakes and you're going too far and we're not ready for that yet. Like they, like, um, you know, Fanny's boss told, told him. And you need to realize also that your seminary degrees mean nothing. Seminarians who were racist and slaveholders, like established, fortified, and taught other racist. Your <laughs> seminary degree and background and your pedigree that was built on, that was established through white solidarity to exclude black people and people of color from your institutions carry no weight before the father. Mm-hmm. They yeah. carry no weight because what did Paul say? He, he studied at the feet of Gam, uh, Gamaliel. Paul was a Jew of Jews and he denounced it all to become a, 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 a man of the way. And so stop demanding from black people that they be above and beyond your expectation when you have lowered and zero expectations for their white counterparts. Yeah, I mean, Paul writing, if, you, if I know all mysteries and all knowledge, but don't love, then I'm nothing. And love doesn't look like buying someone a sandwich. Love does not look like paying it forward at the McDonald's. Love does not look like walking out on your grass, you know, while you're watering your lawn and seeing your neighbor and saying, hey, their neighbor, in a loving, like just because you put a smile on stuff, love doesn't even look like pouring money, throwing money at stuff. Love is sacrificial. Love is uplifting the least to be the most, knowing that you have been blessed to be the most. And, you know, black people don't want anything but equality. Like, we don't want to be better than you. We don't want to be, we, 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 we just want equality. We want the reparative work to be done. We, we don't, we work just as hard as you do. We work, I mean, I'm sitting here on this podcast and I have a full-time job. I do creative work. I have a business. I have a nonprofit. I'm in school. I don't want nothing from you. I don't need nothing from you. Because I'm smart and I, I got it going on all by my damn self. I don't need anything from you. I don't need your handout. Me and my husband, we work, we pay our bills. And most black people, for most black people, that is the case. Stop expecting that we expect something from you other than what God would expect from you in the first place. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you're looking for more information on what we discuss, take a look at the show notes or go to blackhistoryforwhitepeople.com. Remember that this is part two, so if you have not listened to part one, go ahead and do so. If you'd like to play a supportive role in the podcast, for $5 a month, you can vote for future topics, listen to unedited interviews, submit questions, and more. Check us out at patreon.com backslash blackhistoryforwhitepeople. Next episode, we will be discussing interracial marriage. We'll leave you with this quote from Mary Church Terrell. The chasm between the principles upon which this government was founded and those which are daily practiced under the protection of the flag yawns so wide and deep.